This is Developer Stories, where we ask you why you built it, and we look behind the scenes of some of tech's passion projects and people. Welcome to the show. You're in the right place. Welcome to Developer Stories. I'm here today with Wolf Valprecht, previously at Constack, working on several projects our listeners will likely recognize, and currently the founder and CEO of Prefix.dev, a startup that is working on all things package management, which we also are going to be talking about today. So first, Wolf, welcome to the show. Hello, it's good to be here. Thanks for the invitation. Of course, I have been looking forward to this extremely much. <laughs> so there, there has been quite a bit happening in the package management space recently. But before we get into that, let's talk about you. I would like to hear your superhero origin story or more about your training and how you got interested in software engineering in the first place. All right. I might start pretty early. I like my I think the first programs that I was writing was in Turbo Pascal. And that was in high school where we had a teacher that taught us this language. And we took it a step further and uh, programmed something like Breakout me and a friend, and then I'm still proud of a Sudoku solver that I wrote back then with a bunch of for loops. So I guess that was like some of my earliest uh, interactions with the computer. But uh, then I decided to not, not study computer science, but instead mechanical engineering. And I did that a little bit and ended up in robotics as my master. And there a lot more programming was involved again. And so, yeah, I finished my master in robotics, but I really sort of got hooked on the idea of like building open source tools. And uh, I see open source as something that is uh, kind of a communist way of doing something for the greater good in a way. I don't know. And also a lot about like sharing knowledge seems really like open source in my, like, it's a bit like, yeah, just sharing knowledge. And I also really like Wikipedia and these kind of things. So I was more or less actively looking for an open source job. And then I came across this C++ library that was doing something that I really sort of looked for, which is uh, implementing NumPy in C++. And that library is called Extensor and it's still around. And I started contributing while writing my master thesis. And I was pretty lucky because I got asked if I wouldn't want to joined the company behind Xtensor and that's Quantstack. And so right after I finished my thesis, I went and joined Quantstack as more or less the first employee and uh, did a lot of open source hacking for the past five years on Xtensor and then later Mamba, uh, which is the package manager that also works with Conda packages. And then I sort of got lucky again and had the opportunity to create my own company which is Prefix, where we want to take it up a notch in terms of package management. And uh, we are doing it again, but instead of using C++, this time in Rust, and it's called Pixie, et cetera. But uh, I guess we'll talk a bit more about that later. So you grew from a for loop master to a package <laughs> manager maestro. <laughs> so <laughs> in your story, you said that you decided to study mechanical engineering over computer science. Was there something that captured you or was that sort of a spur of the last moment or last minute decision? <laughs> well, I guess the reason is a bit, uh, it sounds bad, but I kind of thought that 
I could teach myself computer programming and I wanted to do something else or like see something else that I didn't think I could teach myself so easily. It was like learning a lot by doing things and programming really enabled that for me. And I was also reading a lot of tutorials back in the days, basically. And I think that gave me this confidence of like being able to learn some programming on my own. Are you alluding to the fact that that turned out to be harder than you thought or? No. Okay, gotcha. Kind of worked no, out. <laughs> I asked because I am completely self-taught programming and wow. that's how I love to learn. And I would have yeah. probably had a hard time taking like a, a traditional computer science curriculum and then like mapping that to kind of what I love to do today. So yeah. I, I like the approach that you take. I was just curious about it. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know if I would have really enjoyed classes about databases or something like this. Maybe I would have. I don't know. So you jumped from robotics to working on Xtensor, and it sounds like it was really the magic of open source that did that move you away from robotics or toward more open source software? So in robotics, there's also a lot of open source software. Uh, and I was kind of the frameworks that I was working with were also like very open source. It's like the robot operating system and these kind of things. And uh, if like my work on the package management side was kind of motivated by trying to package all the ROS packages, which are traditionally packaged on like one given Ubuntu distribution. And uh, if you want to use a different version of ROS, you have to switch your entire operating system to like a different version of Ubuntu, which is relatively annoying if you switch between versions. And so my big idea was to package all of the ROS packages as Conda packages so that you could use them on different operating systems like Fedora, which I like to use, or even macOS. And back in the days, basically, so Conda packages are these binary packages that work almost like Debian packages or Fedora packages, but they also work on Windows and uh, macOS. And so I tried to do that, but Conda was like the original package manager. Conda was really slow back in the days. And Conda Forge was growing. And I knew that if I want to like put 3000 or so ROS packages on Conda Forge or on a different channel, it would not really work out because the tool was just too slow. So it was kind of a weekend project to see if I could uh, actually make this other C library Libsolve work for, for this use case. and. Uh, Luckily, it turned out to work and made things much faster, which was like the birth of Mamba. But I think I'm still like at heart somewhere. I'm still like very much into robotics and I would really like our tools also to succeed in that field. Oh, that's fantastic to hear. You haven't abandoned your original roots. <laughs> Just curious. What I, I don't know very much about the robotics community aside from what, what you're telling me now. When you compare, for example open source, maybe something in the sciences to the robotics communities, they both have open source software, but what are salient differences in terms of culture? Mm, I guess like maybe one difference is that there are quite a, quite a lot of robotics companies around that actually depend on the software and they may sometimes make pull requests or make some changes, but keep them only internally and these kind of things. But I I also think that there's quite a big overlap between like the scientific communities and the robotics communities, because a lot of the roboticists are born in like scientific laboratories. <laughs> so 
sort of where they uh, like do PhDs and then only go to like a startup or some also go to like slightly more established companies like Bosch or I don't know, car manufacturers and stuff like this that also use these tools. But yeah, Ross is, Ross is a tool that like specific, Ross specifically is a tool that comes very much out of academia and now tries to become like also a tool that is used widely in industry. And I think they still have to show a little bit that they can make that work. But yeah, so I, I guess like I don't really see too big of a difference between the communities, to be honest. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, I'm always interested to ask that question because some, sometimes there are very salient differences. So let's yeah. look at your time at Quantstack. You were at Quantstack almost six years and you were heavily involved in many projects. So we've already mentioned some, obviously Conda, Conda Forge, Boa, Mamba, did you run yeah. out of snake names? <laughs> <I'm just kidding. laughs> uh, kind of like I have one more snake name in the back of my head that we might use for a project. But yeah, the snake, uh, yeah, like before we named Mamba Org, Mamba Org, we wanted to name it Snake Pit, but uh, the community decided that it's a bit too, too dark. So we yeah, maybe it has some snake Indiana Pit. Jones vibes. Yeah. <laughs> I was involved in a couple of projects. I think it, towards like my end uh, or like the later times with Quantstack was very heavily focused on the package management aspect. But before that, yeah, I tried to push the boundaries in terms of like numerical computing with Xtensor. And it was also a really fun time actually. So you said that you had an opportunity to create your own company. It also sounded like you had the sense that it was time for change, you know, being... I could imagine being at a company like an entire career, but in the in terms of tech, almost six years is quite a long time. Can you talk <laughs> yeah. us about the process and realization about essentially creating a startup? So I think my journey towards a startup is also a bit of a longer one. Like even when I was in university, for example, I was at the at the entrepreneur club, with, uh, which was like not very old at that point. And we did some fun things and tried to sort of, figure out the startup scene in Zurich where I studied and make some events for startups and stuff like that to sort of have access to students. And I was also working at uh, two different startups there, uh, one robotic startup and one like social network startup. And I kind of like was always a little inspired by the startup culture, if you want. I saw that somewhere in my past, I think, to... To make a startup would be something that I would really enjoy. And I'm actually enjoying it. So <laughs> that's uh, that's a nice part. And um, I think it, what I enjoy about it is that it there's a lot of like creative freedom in a way to explore ideas that I wouldn't have been able to explore otherwise. And some of the stuff that we're doing currently at Prefix, I think, is a little bit like realizing some of the dreams or ideas that I have in my head since uh, quite a while and uh, like being able to sort of drive that vision forward is that's a really nice part about having a startup ah the startup lifestyle <laughs> so <laughs> let's talk a little bit more about prefix.dev let's start really simple where did you come up with the name and the logo <laughs> what do they mean so the name is I hope that people that deal with like software packages and environments and like installing packages or using make files recognize that prefix is the thing that usually 
you pass like an install prefix to your CMake script or to your autogen tools uh, or like make file. And that's where like, that's the folder or directory on your computer where the software actually gets installed. And so in like conda terms, let's say, the prefix is where your environment lives and you can have multiple different software environments with different software inside or different versions of Python, et cetera. And then you activate one of the prefixes and that sort of overlays the, the software that you have installed on your system. Yeah, that's where the name prefix comes from. I'm not yet entirely sure if it's a good name, but because for people outside of this world, it's like a bit meaningless or they think about like actual words like uh, English language or something like this, which it doesn't really relate to. And then we are using this yellow cube in the logo, which is uh, supposed to be a package, I guess, but might also be too close to like DHL. So we might have to rethink that, but I kind of like it. Does the yellow cube have a name? It, the yellow cube doesn't have a name, but we have a mascot as well. Uh, that's like a flying yellow cube with robot arms and a jetpack. And its name is currently Paxton. Paxton. Yeah. yeah. Super cute. I, I absolutely <laughs> love every time I see something on, you know, social media, Twitter, whatever, I, I squee a little bit. It's just <laughs> the, the branding. I'll, I'll give a shout out to whoever does your graphic design because <laughs> the colors, the website, the branding is just so spot on. It's, Thanks. it's professional. It's cute. It's everything I want in a website. So thank you to, to your, awesome. is it, is it you as a department? <laughs> like, who's doing that? <laughs> So the website design is like a mix of just doing things with Tailwind CSS and a little bit of Figma that I'm doing. But for the mascots, we had professional designers because we were not able at all to draw something like that. That's off to the designers and to you for the site. Okay, yeah. so next I want to talk a little bit about basic questions for package managers. Some of these are going to seem really simple, but having asked myself these questions, I can also tell you that sometimes simple questions are very hard. So the yeah. first question is, what is a package manager? That is an interesting question. I, there are different kinds of package managers. Like there are source package managers and then there are like binary package managers. And there are also like operating system specific package managers. And then there are language specific package managers. And I think those are maybe good categories to, for the most part, to categorize the different package managers into. What we are building or what the Conda package manager basically is to us is like a binary package manager that also works cross-platform and is actually not like language specific, which is something that is lost sometimes because in the marketing or I don't know, like most people associate Conda with Python but it's not really true. Like you can also get Node.js, like the binary or curl or OpenSSL and all these kind of system level packages from, for example, Conda Forge, which is, which is the distribution that creates these Conda packages. Yeah. So I think these are the categories that I would uh, put uh, package managers into. And then what the package manager does at the end of the day is usually download some files from the internet. Maybe to download these files, it uses some sort of index, like an XML or JSON or something like this, where there's a list of all the different packages that are available. And then it tries to figure out the package and all the necessary dependencies, uh, grabs them from the internet 
and unpacks them somewhere because usually they are like tar gz or bz2 or whatnot archives and uh, puts them in a folder and that's about it <laughs> and then maybe does some bookkeeping about what packages are installed what files to remove to upgrade or downgrade a package etc so if you describe a package manager in terms of components and feel free to target pixie uh, yeah. What would you say are the main components of a package manager? Yeah, I think the downloading is a central component, the decompression of the archives and the solving of the dependencies. So we use an SAT solver. That is also something that different package managers do differently. And the installing part, I would say like these are the main components of a package manager. Like then for some like... Ideally, you also have some other components where you do like make sure that the checksum is correct and maybe you even have package signatures uh, where like basically the author of the package gives you a stamp of approval and says cryptographically like this package was created by me at that time and whatnot. And that would also be a nice component to have, but it's not necessary. Gotcha. So you prefix.dev wrote a solver in Rust. Is that correct? Yeah. So with with Pixie, we basically rewrote the entire, like an entire Conda, like sort of package management tool suite in Rust. And that includes a SAT solver now, or SAT solver, uh, that resolves the, yeah, basically resolves for the best versions of all the packages that are available. Like if you say you want Python and it sees, okay, Python 3.12 is available, then it tries to pick that. And uh, then Python depends on bzip2 or something like this. And it tries to install the highest available version of bzip2 that also matches the dependency specifier that Python basically gives you. And so an SAT solver is basically doing that. Like it's a bit of a specific SAT solver to the package management problem because we're not only trying to find any solution, which is what at least to my knowledge, a regular SAT solver is trying to do, like find any solution at all but we're trying to find a solution that also maximizes the versions of the packages so that you get actually the latest Python and the latest bzip2, et cetera. And yeah, we were, like I said before, we were using Lipsolve for a long time in the Mama project and Lipsolve works really well, but Lipsolve was written like maybe 15, 16 years ago and it was written in C and it does a lot of like things that you would do when you're writing C and uh, like bit flags and like, shifts and stuff like that and then on top of that it's not super well documented and it makes it uh, really difficult to sort of get into the code base of libsolve and to do any modifications it takes a long time and what we are trying to do with resolvo is uh, basically using the same algorithms and so on from libsolve which is uh, cdcl it's called it's a uh, conflict driven clause learning is basically the state-of-the-art SAT solving uh, algorithm and uh, implemented in Rust and implemented really like nicely with like classes and enums and whatnot and uh, make sure that it is commented well and understandable, etc. So, and then the next thing that we did for, for this SAT solver, which is called Resolvo, is that we also made it generic, which is, so Libsolve also works for different package ecosystems. It works for RPM and it works for, for Conda, obviously, and uh, a couple others actually, but it doesn't have what Rust has because C doesn't really have generics. Uh, so what we're doing is like we have a generic sort of solver and you can give it 
basically a dependency provider that you create your own and you can define how versions are compared and how packages are selected, et cetera. So it's really generic and you can stick any sort of package repository you want in there. So that's kind of the cool thing that we're trying to build out a bit more. Recently, we've made it possible to also resolve not only Conda packages with Resolvo, this SAT server, but also PyPI packages. So you can also resolve your wheels and estists with uh, Resolvo. And that's a separate project that's called RIP. So, yeah. I saw that this morning. Okay, so you yeah. said it's called RIP, like R-I-P? R-I-P, yeah. Okay, is, does that mean that RIP will replace <laughs> PIP or is that the idea? <laughs> well, the idea is that it's really fast, uh, which we still have to prove because for the really, really hard problems in the Python ecosystem, you actually need to download some SDs and SDs are source distributions. And then you need to first build a wheel file out of the SDs, et cetera. So we haven't really finished that part yet, but RIP so far is more like a library. So you wouldn't, you can't really use it as a standalone tool yet. Ah, oh, gotcha. Uh, I was really excited. Yeah. I, <laughs> I kind of, I guess I use, I guess I use either a Mamba or just the standard like VENV yeah. environment, a virtual environment with yeah. Python. And then I always use PIP because I'm just extremely lazy. And honestly, sure. when you're when you're building something in a container, that's usually an okay thing to do because it's yeah. relatively isolated. And really the biggest issue is like when you have a base container that you're bringing in that might have a different install or a previous install of Python, you just have to target the module instead of being like, oh, PIP install <laughs> and then install it to the wrong place. But yeah, I to step back, I have tried the <laughs> pixie.toml in a couple of containers and, you know, there's there's a couple of features I want, but I really like it. It just, the the That's format cool. of the file, it, it feels very modern. It's fast. You know, in HPC land, we build everything from source, <laughs> which makes sense for these niche architectures. Yeah. But on the other hand, I like my containers to build fast. So I, you know, I'm not sitting there for six hours waiting for it. And so I really like that. And I can imagine replacing something. So RIP, for example, if there's a, ever a client for it with my use of PIP in many other places because there's there's lots of yeah. Python everywhere. I saw that announcement and I was like really, really excited. <laughs> <laughs> so we did, like we did integrate RIP basically into Pixie. So like that's kind of the thing that we launched today is that you can specify PyPI dependencies in your Pixie Tomer and then those dependencies are pulled from, from PyPI using RIP. So that might be something that you can try. The other nice thing about that is that we then add the Python packages also to the log file that we create with Pixie. So if you build a container or like you run your stuff in CI, you can just use the log file and you will get exactly the versions as you were using, like locally, et cetera. There are some funny, like I don't know, like the entire, we've been discussing with a few like people in the Python world, for example, and I think there is not really a good specification for a log file yet in the Python world. Like poetry is doing something, we're doing something a little different and other people are also trying different things. So there's still a like pretty big space to explore. When I stumble in a Python repository, I look for like the Pi project, a setup.py, a setup.cfg. Now there's pixie.toml yeah. and poetry yeah, has its yeah. own I'm set sorry. of lock files. <laughs> it's like, which one of these things has this person decided to use? Oh, okay, yeah. then you have to kind of switch your brain into a different operating mode. I, I think that's a good thing. I, I, on the one hand, like 
it would be nice to have sort of a unified way of doing things. But on the other hand, a lot of times, you know, you want to allow for multiple different ideas and then for people to kind of choose their favorite and migrate toward that. Yeah. And maybe Python is just a little bit slow to get there. Or maybe it's just the case that none of them have, they've all been pretty good, but none of them have been excellent enough to be sort of an overall leader. So that would be a yeah. great thing to strive for, I think. Definitely. I And I also, with Rust, we also have like experience with a different ecosystem, let's say. And they did things differently, I think, historically in terms of how they like created the ecosystem. And they initially, I guess, made Cargo, a very central tool for the entire Rust world. And I do think that's actually a strong point for Cargo or for Rust is that they have Cargo and most people are pretty happy with Cargo and how it works. I guess we're taking some inspiration from, from Cargo and some other tools and how we're developing Pixie for sure. I am one of the the happy Cargo users, although I, I don't get <laughs> enough opportunities to work on, on yeah. Rust projects, at least for my day job. So when you look at Conda, so Conda provides binaries, you know, that for sort of standard architectures so like x86, ARM, Windows, et cetera, et cetera. Do you have any vision, especially since I think you've probably recently talked with some folks that maintain high performance computing package managers <laughs> for being able to support something like the HPC use case beyond, you know, putting a generic x86, for example, or ARM or whatever in a container and then yeah. kind of fudging it? <laughs> we have... No concrete plans, I would say this, but what we are definitely building is a better tool to create Conda packages. And so that tool is currently called Rattler Build. From like Rattler is the latest snake coming from a rattlesnake. And it, it's a Rust crate, so Rust libraries that you can use to basically build your own package manager. And Pixie and Rattler Build are both based on, on Rattler, like the low-level crates, so to say. And Rattler Build is hopefully soon going to revolutionize how you build your Conda packages because currently building Conda packages is really pretty painful and the tooling is pretty bad. And a lot of like the code base of the tool that you usually use, which is called Conda Build, is really like sort of rotting away and it's not really getting any better. Um, so what we did is basically rewrite it from scratch. Like we, there's no Python, no Conda build at all in there. It's all written in Rust. And not only because it's written in Rust, but also because of some decisions that we made in the recipe format, it's way more performance. So it builds your packages a lot faster. And I think there's some space to explore and like how how far you we want to converge in terms of like, do we want to also offer a source distribution experience where you can rebuild all the packages on your own for your specific architecture and maybe override some settings and things like this. And I think Rattler Build might give us this opportunity and we might be interested in it, but it's not, again, like not something we have concrete plans for yet, but we want to make it much easier for people to build their own packages we want to make it much easier for people to upload their own packages to like a repository, install it from there, ship their software using our, our tooling and all these kind of things. So yeah, I think that's as far as I want to go for now. Yeah. 
I love that vision that you can build something that others are empowered to use. I would definitely do that. I dabbled a little bit with Nix and I, I got really into it. I, I made my own mirror yeah. Nix user repository. I had a bunch of <laughs> HPC packages, nice. but I kind of hit this point where I realized that like the learning curve was too steep for me to go back to my various communities and be like, yeah, this is a good idea. Like everyone learned this. It was, it was too hard, mm. but I think, I think that model has a lot of feet and, and you mentioned, uh, stinky rotting away code our favorite kind of code yeah. <laughs> and without documentation <laughs> well like fermented fermented ah delicious yeah. <laughs> already um so <laughs> but the the comparison with nix is interesting because it's obviously like one of the ecosystems that we are looking towards basically as like inspiration and also it's very interesting to us like how incredibly evangelical the Nix users are like a person that is like hooked on Nix will tell all their friends about Nix, basically. At least that's my experience. That like we would love to have these kind of users, right? So I'm trying to figure out like what is it that makes people so crazy about Nix? And I do think that part of it is this empowerment of like, yeah, I can build my own packages and I can I can configure them the way I like them. And I I think. That's, yeah, that's interesting. And that's maybe part of the experience that we want to give to people. But at the same time, I also agree that Nick seems pretty complicated. I haven't really like tried it much myself. I have had people explain the ideas to me and I think the ideas are pretty interesting. This functional approach to like package management, et cetera. But I think we can build something that is much easier, that looks much more like, let's say, Conda, Pip, et cetera, like simple, straightforward package management that still gives you a lot of the power that Nix gives you. So I think that's like maybe part of our vision is like to hit that sweet spot since we're a startup and there are also a bunch of startups in the Nix world. It's going to be quite interesting to see how that all plays out. For me, I didn't build a shrine or anything. I got as far as building a bunch <laughs> of flakes. And I think with the flakes, I found that I could accomplish most of what I wanted to do. But the problem when you get into high performance computing software is that you have to specify different variants of things so specifically. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't get the exact thing that I wanted. So I found I was like sneaking in another Python install uh, into, into this, oh, yeah. um, this flake. And it really was kind of messy and I didn't like it. But I will tell you what I really loved about, especially the Nix user repository. I liked that there was a template that I could just easily, you know, put on GitHub. I could define my, my package definitions. And then there was automation for building them and pushing them to a cache. So I think the service that I was using is called Cachex and they yep. have a limited amount of space, which I used up very quickly. So that, that went wrong. And then of course, you know, the model is like, oh, well, of course you'll pay now. Well, of course I wasn't going to pay. So I kind of stopped yeah. using it, but I think a cool vision would be something like that, but then push to an OCI registry. So maybe using Aorus, and then you can actually take advantage of registries, places to cache things that already exist, where you can put yeah. quite a lot of stuff without worrying about that cost. That would be like, wow, like chef's kiss. I would, I would be so happy if I had that. So that's my two cents on sort of what was <laughs> just so lovely about it. It's also yeah. cool they have an operating system, NixOS. I, I installed the laptop with it, but I haven't used it super a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, maybe there's going to be a Pixie OS. Who knows? You know, I've looked into Linux from scratch. There's this website that teaches you how to build your own Linux. And maybe it's not that hard after all. I don't know. 
Entirely in rust. There's no other. No. <laughs> I think it could be. I, I don't know. It's like it's sort of a nerd exercise that I think I will have to go through at some point just to see if it works. If I could get like a QMO boot up my own Linux kernel and like that I installed with Pixie. That would be nice. I really like that nerd exercise. I created a bootloader once, but it was very much mm, like nice. very stupid and simple. And I would totally use that operating system, especially if it had the same branding uh, with that little cute logo. <laughs> yeah, that would be like the first thing you see when you start this computer. So recently there was a conference, Packaging Con. Can you tell us about Packaging Con? Well, sure. So Packaging Con is a conference that I kind of initiated and also organized again this year for the second time. And the idea of the conference is that we have so many different package managers and we don't talk that much. So try to bring everyone to a table or to a conference and exchange ideas. And we broke, we already broke down the different pieces of an, a package manager. And I think almost all package managers share those pieces somehow. And like a lot of them are definitely like, re-implementing them and packaging con is an attempt to find common ground and yeah basically uh, talk about these different topics and uh, the first one we did in 2021 and it was due to covid and because it was kind of bootstrapping phase all uh, online uh, but it worked out pretty well like we had roughly 300 or something attendees and then this year we did it again and it was a hybrid conference so we had a little over 100 people um, physically in Berlin. And that was really nice. Like, I was super relieved, like, obviously, like, stressed out before the conference. But people came, people talked about package managers and were, like, nerding out about these topics. And it was a pretty good conference, I think. And I got we got a lot of positive feedback afterwards. And, yeah, I think package management is also interesting because it also attracts a certain kind of people that uh, also like like to talk about these things and are very like methodical and and so on. So yeah, I didn't know it was hybrid. I could have virtually attended. <laughs> Damn it! Did you record the talks, or do you plan to in the we future did. record the talks? Ah, so are they going to go up on YouTube? Definitely, they are actually since yesterday completely on YouTube. Oh my gosh! Okay, so my favorite yeah. thing to do is watch like I don't know technical talks or conference <laughs> talks during dinner. So. Thank yeah. you from the bottom I of my heart for, some my, good for my dinner entertainment. <laughs> <laughs> we There was a pretty big focus, I would say, on like software supply chain security, which is like a pretty hyped up topic right now. And also because of, I think there was some White House thing that they passed, passed the law or, or like a decree or I don't know what. But uh, basically, a lot of companies are now looking into securing their supply chain and making sure that the packages they are getting are the right packages and they don't have any security issues and they are built by people that they trust, etc. And yeah, that was a big focus, but we also had some interesting talks about Rust and namespaces for package managers and yeah, lots of cool topics. I will check them out. And is the mandate for SBOMs or software bills of materials? <laughs> yeah, I think that, that's probably it. Yeah. Yeah. When I first heard that name, I was like, SBOM what? The bomb yeah. what? <laughs> <laughs> I've heard it so much now, you know. <laughs> so what are, you kind of summarize like a, a main theme of packaging con. What would you say are next exciting steps that we can look forward to for prefix.dev? Oh, so we've spent a lot of time this year working on our open source stack, which we also really enjoyed. 
and like I haven't actually talked so much about Pixie, so I'm just gonna like briefly pitch it. The idea is that it's a cross-platform package manager that creates a log file, just like Cargo creates a log file. And you also have cross-platform tasks. So you have you can define some tasks. And we are learning a little bit from taskfile.dev, which is another cool project actually on how to do that. So you can define a task and the task can depend on another task. And we're using a syntax that looks a bit like Bash, but it's not actually Bash. And it works also on Windows because usually on Windows you have like different weird shells and stuff like that. We are abstracting all that away. And the idea of Pixie is that it's like your single stop, like after you do a Git clone, you can do a Pixie run start and it will immediately start downloading all the required dependencies for your system and start your, like basically do the task that is defined in the Pixie TOML file as the task that will be run when you do Pixie run start, like the task with the name start. And yeah, like the vision there is that you do git clone and then Pixie run start and that's all. And you're good to go. Like you're good to develop your software. And so we're definitely planning to push that vision further. I also already mentioned Red Build and we are like trying to finish it in a way, like make it stable. And that includes a lot of work on like the specification side, like Conda Build kind of organically grew over a couple of, over a bunch of years. And a lot of features were added and the recipe format was kind of changed and in ways that are not great. And we're sort of taking a radical approach and doing it from scratch. And we're going through a process that's called Conda Enhancement Proposal. So we're writing a bunch of these proposals and uh, trying to get, get them voted on and accepted, ideally. <laughs> and at the same time, we're implementing these things in Rattler Build. And then the last step of this plan is to integrate Rattler Build and the sort of new recipe format, which still looks pretty familiar, but it's different, into Conda Forge. And Conda Forge is sort of our favorite software distribution, if you want. It's a bit like Nix packages. I think spec also has something like this. Basically a place where you put your recipes and the recipes are turned by CI pipelines into packages. And we would love to see Forge adopt the Rattler build and the new recipe format because we're really convinced that it's better and it's going to give a much nicer experience to people contributing to Forge. So that is one thing you can expect. And we're also going to go back a little bit on our website and try to add some more interesting features. Um, and we don't have like a very specific timeline for any features, but we have a bunch of ideas that, for example, revolve around environments. And also like if you have a software environment and you have a log file, maybe how can you get a Docker container out of it right away without going through like a Docker build? Uh, that's one thing that we would like to explore. And we have a bunch of other like obvious ideas on like enriching the metadata and making the metadata more searchable so that you can search for like, what is the package that contains that file or what CVEs are known for this version of curl or what is the license of this package and like do a license scan and stuff like this. That's like some of the things on the platform side that we are. Looking forward to work on again, because as I said, we were really focused on our open source tools. That sounds like a lot of cool things I'm I'm excited for, yeah. especially the the containers one and the searching. Like those are those yeah. are especially the searching one is a very cool kind of novel idea that I'm I'm not used to. Yeah. Yeah. 
So let's see, I have one more question and then we'll kind of start to close up. So if someone is listening right now, one of our listeners, and they are interested in package managers, maybe they want to make a package, maybe they want to contribute to the manager themselves. How would you suggest that someone gets started? So I'm going to be selfish and pitch like contributing to Pixie or or our tools. <laughs> and we actually love to also like yeah, I mean, first of all, we love contribution from from the community, and then we also are very happy to kind of teach people Rust. Like, I think there are a bunch of people out there that are like Rust curious. We have a Discord chat, and we'd uh, be happy to kind of like uh, explain the ropes and whatnot. And then maybe the other thing that I want to say is that a lot of the communities that are building package managers, they are definitely like understaffed and sometimes also very much. Like there's a lot of responsibility, for example, on the pip maintainers or the PyPI, uh, the folks that are maintaining PyPI because it's used by so many people all over the world. And if you make a pip release and something breaks, then half of the world has a problem because their CI pipelines stop working and whatnot. So I think they all kind of are more than happy about people actually engaging and trying to help and working on these problems. Just go to GitHub, find a good issue and start hacking on it. Excellent advice. And that's a really interesting thing to point out, just how unbalanced the two different worlds are, the, the user base versus like the yeah. tiny developer base. And that it's definitely a challenging space to work in, but maybe yeah. maybe that's one of the things that makes it, it exciting. I think these tools are really the core of what we do, if you think about it, and very important. And so it seems, at least superficially, it seems like it would be very fulfilling to work on. Definitely we, is. We are running out of time. I have just a few more questions. Let's do some fun ones. So what is your favorite ice cream flavor and then general dessert? My favorite ice cream flavor is actually maple walnuts. I don't know if you have that in the US, but it's a movement pick thing. We it's absolutely like do. Uh, I okay. hail from New England and we have lots of, yeah, we definitely have maple walnut. <laughs> Nice. Yeah. Um, my favorite dessert, cheese. <laughs> oh man, that's a good uh, one. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's one. Okay, finally, what do you like to do when you aren't programming or rusting or startupping? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a good question. I mean, uh, I like to spend time with my friends and family. <laughs> and uh, I used to do much more sports than I do today, but I should definitely pick that back up. And I used to do actually some triathlon. And I think it would be very good for me if, if I do that more again. But the startup life is not the easiest, I have to say that, in terms of working hours. I can only imagine. And if you ever <laughs> come out to my area, I will invite you to go for a run or a bike ride. Those are awesome. those are the two things I can do. I'm not very good at swimming. <laughs> I tend to sink. Uh, but if you want to watch me sink, we could do that too. <laughs> yeah. No, that sounds great. I see your pictures on Twitter from your like runs and bike rides. And it looks like a very, very nice uh, place to be. Absolutely beautiful. That's I, I would highly recommend at least a visit. <laughs> So Wolf, I am so glad we finally got to chat. I really admire how proactive you are in making your own company. You know, that is, as you said, it's not a small thing. It, it is time-wise a big commitment. 
and that you're kind of taking a lot of these hard problems. I know you're saying package management, oh, it's simple, but really like the whole ecosystem and the community and the culture, that is a really hard space of problems. Uh, I absolutely love where prefix dev is going and the associated tooling. And I'm going to continue to try using it uh, and kind of watching for updates and promoting it however I yeah. can. So thank you for coming on the show today. Thanks. Thanks again for the invitation and thanks for your really nice uh, closing words. And uh, I look forward to you breaking Pixie and uh, sending us the pieces and giving us back reports. And not just you, but anyone who listens, please uh, give us your feedback. We need it. Awesome. Thanks, Wolf.